we are going to attempt to do a live recording of This Week in Voice right here to close. Um, and it's a special automotive edition. We're thrilled to have three great guests uh, from the sector, and I'm going to be pulling them in right now. Um, once this recording gets going and once it's over, uh, that will mark the end of the conference. So I'll just take the opportunity right now to say thank you to all of our speakers. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Um, thank you to all, uh, all of our attendees, uh, whether you have been watching and enjoying the sessions live or you're going you're to be watching and enjoying them after the fact. Um, we appreciate everybody who has contributed something to uh, the Voice of the Car Summit, especially with these changes we've had to make <laughs> in light of uh, coronavirus and all this stuff that we're all dealing with. So thank you to everybody. Thank, certainly thank you to Scott McCormick. That was a very interesting talk he just gave. Thank you to everybody who's spoken today. Everyone who spoke yesterday. Um, just what a fun time this has been. I'm going to unmute everybody here, or I will attempt to unmute everyone here. Let me see. Okay, excellent. And um, the one thing I'm going to do, Carla, I'm going to rename you. Okay. Uh, I, I can't do it myself. I tried. No problem. I just did it. And so when uh, this shows up on YouTube, it will be the correct name. And um, the one thing I will ask you all to do is for everyone to stay muted unless you're speaking. So the way this will work is that uh, I will introduce, uh, I'll kick us off uh, in just a moment. I'll introduce myself like I always do, uh, just briefly. I can see all of y'all very clearly. And Piyush and Simon, let me hear you say something. Yeah, this is Simon. Cool, cool. Simon, I heard you just fine. Piyush, uh, let me hear you real quick. Hi, Bradley. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. I can hear you great. So um, I'll introduce uh, the show, kick things off, um, and... Then I will very quickly uh, yield the floor to all three of y'all and, and ask you to uh, thank you for being part of the show and introduce you and, and ask you to talk about yourself and, and uh, your organization and what you do and, and um, or, or what you're looking to do. And then we'll get into it. Uh, I'll ask you, you know, I, I sent the outline uh, out. And in fact, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to post the three articles that we're going to discuss into the chat of this Zoom so that everybody who's uh, here can see those and know what we're talking about. There's two, and here is the third one. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, you know, uh, what you think the best aspects of voice in the car are, and then what the worst aspects are, um, you know, the limitations of it. <clears throat> and then we'll go through each of these three articles. Uh, someone will go first, and then each of the other two people will comment, and whatever discussion comes out of that is what comes out of it. Um, and then 30, 40 minutes or so, we'll wrap up. Um, and it won't take any longer than that, I don't think. And uh, when it does, uh, I will conclude the show and I will then hit exit on the Zoom, which will conclude the conference and uh, what a way to do it. So uh, we appreciate all three of y'all being part of this with us. Okay, so with that, any questions for me before we, before we get rolling? Cool, cool, cool. All right. 
So, uh, Simon, um, or Piyush, did you have a question? No, I, I don't. Okay. I just unmuted okay. myself. Okay, cool. So if you will mute back, and Simon, if you'll mute, um, we'll be off and running. And someone says, I got one article. Hmm, I posted all three. When I posted all three into the chat, did y'all see them? Okay. Interesting. Um, well, I'll tell you what, as, as we are discussing each of the articles, I'll post them again uh, into the chat uh, freshly. So you, that way you can see each one. Um, okay, so with that, and, and then at the end, uh, anyone who wants to ask a question, if you have a question that you think of while we're talking, throw it in the uh, chat. Okay, so some looks like more than one person uh, had trouble seeing all three, so I'll post each one of them fresh. Any questions you have as we go along, post them. We'll take some of the Q&A at the end uh, just to make this more interactive, and uh, that'll be that. So with that, I will go ahead and get started. Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, special automotive edition to close season four. We're in season four of the show. I don't know if any of us ever thought it would get that far. Uh, I didn't bore everyone to tears with seasons one, two, or three. So here we are uh, closing season four, the season finale of season three. We were very fortunate to have Mark Cuban as our guest, uh, as my guest on the show. Season four, we will close with uh, three very smart folks coming out of the automotive and technology sector. This is recorded live in front of an audience of approximately 70 people right now, uh, concluding the Voice of the Car Summit, and we're honored to do it. So with that, let's meet our panel of esteemed guests. And Carla, I'm going to start with you. If you don't mind unmuting yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, who you're with. Hi, everyone. My name is Carla Bailo. I'm the CEO for the Center for Automotive Research. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, and our mission is to promote the sustainability of the automotive industry. Um, we do that in a number of ways. We host events as one, but we do detailed research projects for our industry partners and for our government affiliates. We look at more than just the techie fun stuff that I love, but we also do things related to economic impact of the automakers, the economic impact of COVID-19, um, and in many other ramifications of COVID-19 our group is deeply involved in now. Um, again, everything is meant to provide a toolkit for um, our, our affiliates and uh, for the industry to make their, their forward-facing decisions. Excellent. Carla, thank you very much for being part of this with us. Next up is Piyush Chandra. Piyush, say hello. Hi, everyone. Piyush, thank you for being part of this uh, special edition of This Week in Voice with us. Tell, uh, tell us who you are, who you're with, what you do. Sure. Thank you for having me here, Bradley. I appreciate it. My name is uh, Piyush Chandra, and I lead AI product management for Nado. Now, Nado is a, is a company based out of Palo Alto, California, that builds AI-based commercial fleet management and driver assistance solutions. So I lead AI product management for this company. Cool, and, and what does Nato do? Give me a little bit more detail on that. Yeah, so 
Nado uses or leverages AI to see, uh, uh, to build uh, solutions that monitor what is happening on the road, what is happening around you, if you're in a vehicle, and determines what are risky events. And it ensures that we, uh, we let the driver know that there's something risky happening so that the driver can take the right or the appropriate action to avoid that uh, event. So in short, this is a, a driver assistance systems, uh, system, which, uh, which is constantly monitoring what is happening outside the vehicle and also looking inside the vehicle to see if the driver is distracted. So if you're on your phone, if you're texting, if you're eating something, if you're getting drowsy, if you're fatigued. So we have AI models that are constantly looking at what is happening to the driver and what is happening to the car or uh, to the scene around the car you're driving. And we are constantly monitoring and evaluating if any of this constitutes a risky situation, high risk situation. And if yes, then we alert the driver so that he or she can take, uh, take appropriate action. Very cool. Piyush, thank you for being part of This Week in Voice with us. Our third guest, Simon Ram. Simon, say hello. Hi, can you hear me okay? I'm speaking from England. Yes, we can hear you perfectly, and we can see you perfectly as well. I'm sorry about my lighting. I got caught out by my kitchen spotlights. I may turn it down in a minute. I look a bit ghostly. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> you don't have anything to apologize for. Uh, yeah, thank you for being uh, part of uh, the Voice of the Car Summit in this special automotive edition of This Week in Voice. Tell us who you are, uh, who you're with, what you do. So I'm currently a freelance uh, automotive voice designer um, and strategist. And uh, for the last uh, three years, I worked for Jaguar Land Rover. And before that, I did a PhD in natural interaction with cars. So looking at how drivers interact with their cars, what feels natural. And we developed a rating scale for what feels natural in the car. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much, Simon, for being part of this with us. Thank you to all of our panelists. With that, we'll get to the news. And this entire show is all about specifically voice technology in the car, uh, surprise, surprise. And we've got three articles that we're gonna talk through each one. But before we even get to that, this is coming at the end of the Voice of the Car Summit, which is just now wrapping up. It's been a completely, it's been a worldwide online event since it could not be a sold out event at Club Auto Sport in San Jose uh, without uh, getting arrested or something, or people mad. Uh, people sick, uh, more importantly. So um, to start off, and Carla, I'm going to start with you. Tell us what you think is the best aspect of voice technology in the car right now. So let me give a little bit of background in my answer, and, and then I'll answer your question. So I spent 25 years in the automotive industry. So you can tell I went from push-button radios all the way through to all the, the uh, complicated human-machine interface systems that we have today. And one of the most difficult things that we ever did was trying to make those devices be intuitive, it was also the highest number of complaints that we got from customers because they weren't intuitive. We're engineers designing things that are meant to be intuitive and engineers don't mind complexity. So um, one of the things that, that really can assist with having, you know, to go through all these menus or tr trying to avoid going through all these menus is to just simply be able to tell the car what you want and the car will do it. Um, so 
for me, that's, that's one of the best opportunities that we have is making life simple for the, for the user. They can adjust anything they want simply by saying what they want. They can get the information they want just by asking for it. No owner's manual, no searching. Um, the more we can simplify and then eventually, you know, as the car becomes smarter, the more we learn about the occupant, the more we can begin to customize. And the world today is all about the consumer experience. Excellent. Thank you for that. Piyush, your thoughts, what you like best about how voice works in the car right now? Yeah, absolutely. So what excites me, you're talking to someone who grew up watching the Night Rider, right? So the ability to talk to your car it is a dream come true. Now, I think that we are looking at two technologies which are at the cusp of fundamental transformation, right? So cars traditionally have been just a mode of conveyance, but now we are looking at cars as, as a schedule planner, as, as a board meeting room, as a courier delivery system, as a payment system, even a proactive health monitoring system. Now. All of this is very great. And I think these are cool things that we can do and the car can completely transform. But all of this can only work if we can provide the right user experience. To Carla's point, user experience is going to be key. Now, we, when I look at my dash, the dash of my car, I bought my car 10 years ago. And I am still overwhelmed with all the things that I see on the dash. And I've been driving the same car for 10 years. Now, if we start building more features and start cluttering this, this dash, this is not going to be the right experience. The right experience should come naturally. And the only thing that can come naturally to us is voice. And this is very exciting. So on the one hand, we can completely transform what a vehicle does, but it can only happen if we bring the right user experience, which can only be enabled through voice AI. So yes, it's very exciting having something I grew up watching become a reality Super exciting. Very cool. And Simon, same question for you. What do you think is best about voice currently in the uh, modern car? So I'm going to say, I'm going to slightly turn that on its head and say what what's the potential is, I suppose. What, so what's exciting now, but what could be made the most of. So um, if voice devices were mainly invented for the home, uh, well, the home is a fairly stable kind of environment it doesn't generally change very much it generally stays about the same temperature all year round uh, you have the same kind of people in it all year round whereas the car space for me is much more exciting so there's no other space that i know of that goes from boring to exciting uh you know in a few seconds from hot to cold from uh, urban to rural from um, sad to happy even and from private to social for example so these things can change all the time um and I just think voice has way more potential than just find me a coffee shop. So I always try and look beyond find me a coffee shop because I think it can do better. So when I'm thinking about car voice, I'm thinking of a voice that could um, that can keep me awake, uh, that could keep me company if I'm lonely, that could um, cheer me up if I'm feeling sad, uh, keep me warm even if I'm feeling cold, um, maybe even keep my secrets if I'm suddenly uh, intruded by a load of people or a load of kids on the back seat. Perfect. Yeah, well said. And so now I'm going to go in reverse order. And Simon, I'm going to start with you. Tell me what's the worst thing about voice in the car right now or and or uh, the biggest challenge uh, that's in front of it? Um, 
I think it's context. So it's, it's a bit a bit like the reverse of what I just said. So so we have all these amazing contexts and these these extremes, but um, at the moment the car doesn't necessarily know uh, where you are or how you're feeling or, or you know what what context, what which of those many extremes that you're in. Um, and I think that's that's the nightmare for me is is a voice assistant that has one uh, sort of solution for everyone. So the the voice response you get in the home where you might be completely bored, you might have endless time, um, endless noise. Uh, so for that response to be identical to the one that you get in the car, where you might be very busy, you might be very stressed, uh, you might have people in the car. So it's the sort of one size fits all response would be my nightmare. I think um, I think the car is a very special place and uh, voice designers need to think about that. Excellent. Piyush, your thoughts? Yeah, I actually want to echo what Simon was saying. So one size fits all. I want to call it one voice fits all. And I would like to draw a parallel here with some of the chatbots that came out five or seven years ago. Now, I think the, the goal and the intent was very good. People wanted to automate certain tasks and they thought, okay, the technology is there, so let's start automating things. It'll make life easier for businesses, but it'll also life, make life easier for the end user. However, that did not work. And the reason that did not work was because the focus was on what will work, that you design an experience thinking that this is how things will work, and you expect everything to fall within the confines of what is how you design the experience but that's not how reality works. There are many things that do not work. And in the initial wave of chatbots, the letdown was that a lot of the things that people wanted to do did not work. One of the examples that I personally experienced uh, was when I was trying to interact with voice assistants, they would just not understand what I was saying because of my accent. And that is also something that can happen in a voice assistant in a car. Now, in a chatbot, in a voice assistant, most of the times you are trying to set an alarm or you're trying to uh, ask for the news or you are trying to play some songs. So even if it doesn't understand, the stakes are not that high. But when you're driving your car and it does not understand you correctly and does something that was totally unintended, the consequences can be severe. And that's why we need to design the experience with voice, but we need to design it right. Excellent. And Carla, same question for you. Worst thing about voice in the car right now or biggest challenge? Well, I, I, I agree with uh, what has already been said fundamentally. I think the biggest challenge is that same frustration of you ask the car to do something while you're driving and you're doing it to be safe and the car doesn't understand you at all. Um, and it's not just accents it has a problem with, but quite frankly, it's a male-female thing too. And it doesn't like female voices. There aren't enough females doing this work today, which is part of the problem. But uh, I can tell you, I can ask the car one question and it, it, you know, I'll ask, call so-and-so. It'll show me five names not even close to so-and-so. My spouse can say the same thing and it will show three names that are at least close. Um, you know, so for me, that's the most frustrating part. When I try to use voice activation, it doesn't work. So my default is I'm not going to use it. It simply doesn't work. And uh, then you're left with a... a probably a more unsafe situation than you want. And, you know, being one from the automotive industry, the sooner we can keep eyes on the road, keep, you know, keep minds on the road, the better everyone's going to be. Excellent. Yeah, uh, well said. So that paints a, a nice picture of sort of the current snapshot 
uh, voice in the car talking about what's best, what's worst. Appreciate the thoughts on that. So with that, we'll get into the three stories uh, of the week. I've posted the first one into the chat of the conference, um, and it is a Forbes article. COVID-19 is making Alexa and Siri a hands-free necessity. This is a timely article, pretty interesting. A lot of meat on the bones uh, to this. Um, Carlo, I'm going to start with you. I want to just get your reaction to this. Uh, you know, Do you agree with the overall premise of the article? Is, is COVID-19 making Alexa and Siri a hands-free necessity? Well, well what were your thoughts as you as you took a look at this? Yeah, I mean, COVID nineteen is making a lot of things uh, hands free necessity, and and uh, some of it Siri and, and Alexa can do, and some of it they can't because there's still mechanical things that have to be controlled um, that we have to simply change to sensor based systems. But you know, when I think about Alexa and Siri, you know, I. It depends. I mean, yes, you can use you can use your phone to do that, and you can ask the question, and you can ask Alexa, but you still have to be a certain distance from them, right, to be able to make that happen. You can't be really far away and expect them to hear. So, in a way, I understand there's going to be a lot more hands-free um, operations. Some of them will be voice managed. Some of them will be sensor managed. Um, but I'm not sure Alexa and Siri are going to be the answer for all aspects. And until we truly are able to understand voice recognition and be able to discern it better, um, it's not going to happen overnight. So there's going to have to be a segue in between. But clearly, clearly COVID-19 is going to have an impact on how quickly that's going to be developed. Perfect. Piyush, your thoughts? Well, I do agree that... Uh, it's what COVID-19 has done is it has highlighted the importance of what Alexa and Siri and other voice assistants promise. But at the same time, I think this article that, uh, that we are talking about, it's to me, it sounds a little futuristic. The reason is that not, not simply because of the fact that Carla was saying that we have to, if we have to make all of this work in the way this article is talking about, we have to fundamentally transform almost everything around us. We have to have IoT sensors in almost everything. They are there in lights, they are there in cars, garage doors, and water sprinklers, but they are not there everywhere, right? So we have to, if we have to completely become a completely touchless society, we not only have to make Alexa and Siri hands-free, we have to make everything else sensor-enabled. That's the first part. The second part is that we also have to think of the right user experience. Now, if Alexa is actually hands-free, anyone can talk to Alexa then, right? If you're, if you're walking around with your iPhone and Siri is hands-free, anyone can talk to Siri. So we have to think of these corner cases and the negative consequences of promoting a society and prom promoting a future where everything is hands-free and everything is voice enabled. So we also have to look at, yes, it will bring a lot of positives, but what is the negative consequence that we might have to face because of this new feature that we want to build? Excellent. Simon, your thoughts. So I enjoyed this article um, more than the other two, perhaps because I'm not on the technical side of voice. I'm more interested in, in the UX. Um, I thought there was a kind of uh, 
paradox in the fact that uh, whilst using shared surfaces in public, uh, touch surfaces in public may become socially unacceptable, then um, is shouting and breathing an inanimate object in public going to be any less um, socially unacceptable when it comes to sort of COVID-19? Um, I partly think, um, you know, my observations have, have been working at home and been walking around. People have become uh, less extrovert, so less likely to see them shouting, talking on their phones or whatever. So I wonder whether there'll be a slight flip in this sort of um, this, this sense that when people are out, they do feel a little bit guilty about being out almost. And they might not want to draw attention to themselves and their voice by shouting at an elevator. So that was one sort of uh, paradox that I was thinking about Um I also thought um, the, the article kind of implied that people uh, people may be scared of their own phones uh, being dirty. For me, I don't consider my phone to be dirty, although it is. I'm looking at it now. Um, I, for me, it feels like an extension of myself. So for me, <laughs> despite the fingerprints and the you know the food, no doubt, whatever you can find on it, for me, it feels part of me and and clean. And it's not something I let other people use. So I would not consider that a shared surface. Uh, I mean, for example, I, I worry about my dog becoming a shared surface because she's petted by so many people. So I worry about my dog being a shared surface way more than my phone. Um, the last thing was uh, the article did mention um, smart home. And actually, I think that is one sort of serious implication. So my partner has asthma. Um, I, you know, we, we've been self-isolating in separate parts of the house. And actually, one thing um, I am aware of uh, when he comes into the house is you know, is the light switches, um, it's the shared surfaces, the, the, the door handles and stuff. So actually, um, the, the article mentioned uh, just being able to turn a light on without touching anything. Actually, for me, that feels like uh, the right time and the sort of zeitgeist. Excellent. Yeah, well put. So this article um, concludes with... Um, I'm just going to actually read this because it just mirrors a lot of what Brian Romley was talking about uh, earlier today as part of the, the conference program. A crisis often creates the conditions in which people need to adopt new habits. For example, almost a century later, the Great Depression still shapes the way Americans eat, from fortified foods to nutrition labels, the legacy of an early financial crisis that lives on in kitchens across the United States. Today, we're in one of those technology moments, and when it comes to voice control, anything with a push button or touchpad seems to seems like a great place to start. Moreover, we don't have to wait as this technology exists today. Yeah, kind of interesting um, just to, to see the parallels and thought this, this article would be a good place for us to start. I appreciate the, the commentary on that uh, all the way around. We'll move on to article number two, which is a medium post. Uh, that is kind of thought-provoking. It's called, Is the Automo Automobile Industry Racing Ahead with Voice AI? And I posted this into the chat of the conference uh, just a moment ago. So, Piyush, I'm going to start with you um, with this particular piece. Um, this uh, takes a deeper dive um, into voice in the car. Um, it makes a lot of interesting sort of statements. Uh, let's just start with you. Would love to get your thoughts. Uh, what do you think as you took a look at this? Yeah, when I looked at this, I think to me, if I go back to the initial question you asked me, what is this one thing that excites me about voice AI in cars? It is the fact that cars are evolving 
So if you look at cars that were made five or maybe 10 years ago and look at the cars that are coming out today, they are very different. They might not look different, but the things they are capable of doing are very different. And what we are planning to do with autonomous driving, with cars that are detecting your emotions and your health, are planning your schedule, can make a phone call to your boardroom. All of this requires a totally redesigned user experience, a totally redesigned means of interacting with the vehicle. So when I look at this article, I totally agree that, yeah, automotive industry is definitely racing ahead with uh, voice AI. And I would even say that they are racing ahead with this because there is no other way they can make this happen. The other thing is that so far, the mode of communication, if you're in a vehicle, it has mostly been determined by the user, by the driver. In most of the situations, it's the driver who is in control of initiating an interaction with the, with the vehicle. You monitor, uh, you steer the steering wheel, you push some buttons on the infotainment system, you change the setting of your AC. But we are empowering the car to talk back to us now. The car can tell us that, hey, there is a, there's an accident one mile down the road. Do you want me to rear out? We have to provide this kind of power or this kind of uh, capability to, uh, to our cars so that they can start interacting with us. Only then it becomes a meaningful relationship. So the way I look at this thing is that cars are not just going to be something that you drive for an hour a day and then it's parked in the garage. It is something that is going to be a relationship and you cannot build a relationship you can't talk to. Excellent, Simon, your thoughts. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm on less uh, less strong ground here when it comes to, to AI. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with the premise of the article. Um, I mean, if you look at where voice has come from, it's it's patently been uh, been developing and, and sort of test bedded in the home. Uh, in consumer voice, and it's come into the car, um, you know, in, in a strong user-centered way fairly recently. Um, I mean, past some past car voice systems were pretty hard to be understood, um, had very limited capabilities and made you learn the language. So, I mean, if, if voice AI is to be um, majoring in the car, I think it would, would be a great thing. Um, and certainly, I see a sort of major use case as, as just an intelligent search, right? So just to be able to... Um, to search um, things, so to narrow down every single piece of information or use case in the world down to the one you want, I think is incredibly valuable. So if if the AI is um, is useful in that, um, then then all the better. Um, the other thing I you know I sort of slightly hesitate about just just agreeing with completely uh, unconditionally is that voice is an entirely eyes free experience in the car because a voice never is. I mean, I'm looking at you now. I'm looking for eye contact. If you suddenly turned around, I'd be a little bit worried and you were looking at the uh, the poster behind you. Um, you know, voice is not an eyes-free thing. I need to know that you're listening. I need to know when to talk. And, and that, that sometimes has to happen visually. Same thing when I get a result back, I may want um, a list, maybe much easier to scan than having a great long readout of, of information. Similarly, if I get the weather back, um, I might see the weather and I can just quickly scan, um, you know, in less than a second, the piece of information I want. So this idea that the voice is always um, completely eyes free, I think is, is wrong. Excellent, thank you. And Carla, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I'd like to follow up a little bit on that last comment, because when I think about the car, it's not just voice, it's connectivity to your devices, it's connectivity to the cloud. Um, Really, the car is becoming, as it says in this article, rightly so, a smart device, which means it's taking it's looking in some of the new smart systems like the Cadillac Cruise and others, it's looking at your eyes. It's telling if you're paying attention to what's happening so you can take control of the vehicle. So it's looking at you. It's also taking information from your phone if you've elected to give it that kind of information. It's taking information from your voice and all of that is going into the algorithms. And it's that holistic way um, that's going to be required to really have the car become almost an extension of you, you know, like like Simon rightly said, his phone feels like an extension of him. Your car will be an extension of you as well. And we need to have all of those elements to make it happen. The one thing that I really think we have to think about in the automotive industry is we're talking about, you know, cars that, first of all, they, they're going to have uh, automatic driver avoidance systems to keep us more safe. Then we'll have connectivity. Then we'll have autonomous vehicles. And we keep hearing how people are really, really um, nervous about that and don't want to give up their driving um, abilities and don't trust an autonomous vehicle. But the beauty of this article and really the beauty of autonomy is for those people that probably have never driven a car or have lost their ability to drive a car, which is the elderly or persons with disabilities. And then we have to think about, again, that holistic way that that they need to communicate. Some will be able to speak, right? Some will not. Some will have to push their commands on, on an iPad. Some will have to, you know, communicate in a variety of ways. So when we talk about a smart, intelligent device, we have to think about all the different ways. And I really think as an industry, we should probably be looking at some of those underserved populations first, because they're the ones who are going to appreciate that mobility solution because they've never had it and or they've lost it. And by the way, most of us silver tsunami people, and I fit that that, uh, age group, will outlive our driver's license by 10 years. And I bet most of us are going to want to have some independence in our lives. Excellent. So this article touches on some, a concept, and let me see what it calls it, car as a service. And it talks about uh, the role that voice plays within this concept of car as a service. And we're at the end uh, of the Voice of the Car Summit now uh, with this podcast recording. Uh, I, you know, I'm not part of this industry, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. I'm going to ask you a question, and I just want a yes or no answer before we move on to the, the third story. And Piyush, I'll start with you, and we'll go in the same circle we did for the story. There's some discussion, you know, about when autonomous vehicles are going to come about. Five years, 10 years, 20, you know, 20 years, 25 years, whatever it is. So let's go out 50 years from now. 50 years from now, and again, just yes or no answer, 50 years from now, will most people own a car? No. Yes, we'll start. No. Okay. Simon? Uh, 50-50. That's a cop-out answer if I've ever <laughs> heard one. <laughs> Carla? No. Wow. Okay. Interesting. 
Uh, subject for another show. I'd love to go down that rabbit hole, uh, but I will maintain discipline and not do that. <laughs> so we will move on to story number three. This is another post uh, that's uh, on a website called Cur Curious. Uh, this is a site that we've never actually used before on This Week in Voice, so that's something new. The article is called Why Artificial Intelligence is Still Human Intelligence. And this is, um, this is a pretty well-written piece. Uh, I, I enjoyed this. Um, Simon, I'm going to start with you. Um, there's a lot of surface area to this article here. It touches on a lot of different things. Any particular thing jump out to you? What were your thoughts? So you, you picked the human-centered designer to talk about AI. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. <laughs> at at 10, 10 p.m. at night in England. <laughs> I should be in bed. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, I can kind of extrapolate and talk at a slightly more sort of higher level, I suppose. I mean, the, the thing that appealed to me really was was the title. So, um, so all throughout this, I think, as I was saying, with, with the different car spaces, we really need the, the voice of the car um, to have a human element, so to keep me company, uh, to 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 make me happy when I'm sad, to to make me less scared when I'm driving through somewhere I, I don't know, uh, or worried about the car breaking down. So I think um, there's there's that need for the for the human element. Um, I, I'm just brought back to one of the interviews I did um, for my PhD. Um, about six or seven years ago, um, I interviewed drivers in their car just about various human sort of aspects to the cars. Um, and one one guy said to me, um, you know, the most frustrating thing uh, when I'm waiting to pick up a passenger is, is the door locks. Um, because the passenger, you know, inevitably comes up to the door, bangs on the door. Uh, the thing is locked because you're already running the engine and the car is auto locked. Um, you can never find the, the, the control to unlock the doors and the passenger is left standing outside thinking this rude guy inside is, you know, he's, he's got me out here in the cold and he's not even going to open the doors. Um, so I think that just underlined to me that this, this whole human element about, uh, about cars and, and particularly with the voice and, and that's what needs to, to, to come first ahead of just cleverness. Excellent. Carla, your thoughts. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading this article because, uh, you know, I grew up in the era of the Jetsons and Star Trek and Star Wars. And, and for me, robotics and, and robots are, are always um, amazing technology that I was certain by now I would have one in my house. Um, unfortunately, I don't. Alexa's the closest thing, and she listens when I don't want her to. Anyway, if we ever have artificial intelligence that's not managed by humans, we have a problem. Um, <laughs> and then some of those other strange science fiction movies will become true. But fundamentally, it's still in an autonomous vehicle, in a, any kind of a programming situation, even you know the Jeopardy bot, it still was done... It would, the programming is done by humans, the data is put in there by humans, the, the logic goes in by humans, and the learning itself then gets implemented by humans. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the premise of Waymo and all the others. That's why there's getting so many miles are getting put on these vehicles with so many different situations because the vehicle learns. And once one vehicle experiences it, that programming can be changed. It goes into the database and the thinking process changes, but it's still the human at the end of the day who has to, who has to make sure that all of this works properly. 
Um, so the, I think the article was right on that really you have to have them both. Excellent. Piyush, your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is uh, it's a very interesting article. Towards the end of the article, there is, there's a line that says that no matter what we do or something like this, that no matter how intelligent artificial intelligence is, it'll always be constrained by the expectation of human beings. I think it's a very subtle way of uh, putting it because we are comparing technology, not with our own capabilities, but with our expectations. We know that human expectations are not aligned with human capabilities. We all have expectations which run wild at times. And I think we should have the same yardstick to measure the intelligence of technology that we are talking about. So if the question is, is artificial intelligence always going to be a subset of human expectations? Absolutely, yes. But is it making progress and is, is it taking over tasks in terms of human capabilities that were never thought uh, to be automatable? Yes, it is doing that. Right? So there are so many things. We look around ourselves. There are so many things that are AI-based. We don't even realize they're happening around us. So who thought of a car that could drive by itself? Or forget about driving, that might be a few years away from now, but who thought of a car that could park itself? No one did that until a few years ago. Who thought of a speaker that could talk to us and understand what we are saying? No one did that as well. Who thought that we could have intelligent systems that are cameras installed everywhere that are looking at photos and detecting who this person is among millions of photos it's getting? All of this is artificial intelligence. I think the odds are stacked against AI because every time there is a new feature, a new capability that becomes mainstream, we just start taking it for granted and it's no longer intelligent. So I think artificial intelligence is getting there, is becoming, it's not human intelligent for sure, but it's getting there. There are things that were unimaginable up until a few years ago, which are mainstream now. So it's. It's advancing at a very rapid pace. Well put, well put. So we've covered best and worst, a voice in the car. We've covered three articles that take varying dives into the subject matter at hand. Um, I appreciate all three of y'all being part of this show, uh, being part of this conference with us. Um, greatly appreciate, uh, greatly appreciate y'all. There's a number of comments uh, in the chat, uh, but I don't see any questions. Uh, so with that, we will adjourn. Carla, Piyush, Simon, thank you very much for your time and being part of the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> for this week in voice season four. Thank you for listening, watching. If you're watching on YouTube, until next time.